0: In the, the service, we're going to invite Dave Mitchell up to, to speak to us. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. It's wonderful to have Dave with us. Um, senior leader of, of the Woodlands Church family, it's, it's great to have you here. Um, yeah, can I just pray for you and then a hand over? Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for Dave. We thank you for um, what you are doing in his life, what you've done, how you've been faithful to him. And Lord, uh, we pray that he, he shares from your word, that um, those words would come to life for us, that, um, yeah, he would remind us how you've been faithful to, to everyone, and Lord, that you would inspire us to love you more and to, to be your, your people in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, great to be with you, and you've got to look very, very vibrant, because that's what it says on the tin, you're very vibrant lot. So, um, can you just vibrate at me a little bit? <laughs> That's good. I'm feeling the vibes. Um, if I if I get a bit muddled, I was preaching at um, at Woody's for eight o'clock service this morning on a very different theme. I may conflate them in my mind. I don't know. <coughs> but um, it's it's wonderful to be following your series, looking at um, the songs of ascent. Isn't it amazing how so often songs and worship have fueled movements of God, movements of the Spirit? I was thinking um, about this this week about. The Wesleys and the fact that in in the Methodist revival, all those songs that that Charles and John Wesley wrote were so amazing. In fact, we've got Charles Wesley's house down in the city centre with um, 5,000 or more songs you know, in in, um, archive there. Or about the Salvation Army, when there's a new move of God using the Salvation Army. And they said, why should the devil have all the good music? And... um, started to write contemporary songs with brass bands and uniforms, because that's what the Empire was doing there and then, you know, and using pub tunes. Or in our own time, you know, I, I'm young enough, old enough, senior enough, senior citizen enough, to remember, you know, the tail end of the kind of um, move of the 60s, you know, where lots of young people caught on the counterculture and the hippie movement, sort of, were finding their way into church and were new songs and new instruments and you had guitars and drums in church. In fact, I'm old enough to remember when someone in this church got a bit annoyed about us having congas in the building because it was of the devil. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, suffice it to say, actually, that the the move of God and the work of the Spirit reflected in song has often been part of church experience. And and it's so significant for us, isn't it? so great to have a, be part of a worshipping church, a worshipping community. So we're looking at Psalm 126 today, and one of those songs of ascent, a pilgrim song, as we make our way up to the house of God, as we make our way to Jerusalem, as we, as we make our way into the presence of God, let's be singing these songs and encouraging our hearts. So shall we, shall we read it, Psalm 126? It's going to come up on the screen there. Oh, by the way, you know, in those movements um, of... Of, of, of new songs. Again, when I was young, I think in my teens, early 20s, scripture in song was a big deal. Anyone remember scripture in song? And um, I mean, I, I know a song to this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed and our mouths were filled with laughter. It goes on like that. Anyway, um, we used to read the Psalms. When Matt, Matt Crossman lived in my community house and, and Matt instituted psalms every monday we would get up and start the the the, the week reading a psalm and probably most of the psalms i could could sing a a song to. so thank you for that matt it's still going strong let's read this sorry about the digressions when the (laughs) when the lord restored the fortunes of zion we were like those who dreamed and our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This is a psalm of restoration, and God is always interested in restoration. If you like, you could read the whole of scripture as a story of restoration. There's a big meta-narrative of fall and restoration that starts with the Garden of Eden and ends with a restored garden city in the Book of Revelation. But in that long journey of scripture, there are ups and downs of fall and rise, of poverty and pain and captivity. And restoration. And actually, if you look at church history as well, the history of the church is where we've seen sometimes a slipping back, but also renewal and revival and, and 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 new expressions and new breaking out of God because God is always interested in renewal and restoration, just as much as Satan is always interested in destroying and pulling down. One of the things I've been carrying in my own thinking and heart is that God always wants to restore his image in us. God made people in his image. And he wants to restore the image where it's been broken. But Satan hates the image of God, always wants to destroy it, mar it, pervert it, oppress it. And that's true for individuals. But it's also true for communities because the church is the body of Christ and Satan hates the image of, of Christ in a church and wants to destroy it. And God is always wanting to renew it. And in restoration, I think being restored from captivity, which was the experience of the people of God in the Old Testament, is a wonderful and ultimate picture in some ways of restoration. When you are a slave people and you're set free, as in the Exodus journey, when you are in Babylon, in, away from the promised land and are brought back, when the walls of Jerusalem are destroyed and you get to rebuild them, when the temple has been torn down and you get to rebuild it, those experiences of from captivity to freedom are fantastic. But actually, there are many experiences of restoration, which I'm sure the people of Israel knew and looked back on. It might have been economic. It might have been we, we were... There was famine in the land. There were, there were no rains, and yet we prayed, and it rained. It might have been there were locusts that were destroying the crops. It might have been a political situation. It might have been a plague and a sickness that's... And, and, and we prayed and God healed. But whatever it is, the people of this psalm know that God has answered in the past. And because he has answered in the past, he will answer in the future. That God is faithful and unchanging. And he will answer. And it's not a bad thing for us when we think about a God of restoration to reflect on our own history. And think about the times when we have been restored, if we're going through the mill right now. And I don't know whether you've got your own sort of spiritual track record of restoration. But I've got mine. I've, I'm have i 64. I've been, uh, you know, brought up in, in, in the faith and came to faith as a young person. And I had my ups and downs over those um, decades, but I've seen the restoration of God in my life, and, and uh, I, I trust that he's able to keep me and restore me. So that's good news. And I've seen it in church too. And in some ways, High grab itself is a story of restoration, which I'll talk about a bit later on. But in the psalm, we've got two pictures of restoration. We've got the restoration of the desert region of the Negev. And, and the Negev is a very, very dry place. And in deserts, we sometimes find gullies, a sort of ravines that are dry. But when the rains come, and we get flash flooding, I, I don't know whether... Um, Nicola, from your Middle Eastern experience, you've seen that? Yeah. Thank you. Double whammy. But um, what happens when you get a river in a desert is that dormant seeds quickly spring into life. And what seemed absolutely lifeless and barren suddenly is flourishing. It happens almost overnight. And we see it a little bit in springtime, don't we? I don't know what your garden's like, but my garden, everything is growing everywhere. Where it shouldn't, it's, you know, the weeds are growing as vigorously as everything else, and there's, in, in the patio slabs, there's things growing there that I wish weren't growing there. But basically, it can happen really quickly sometimes. When the Lord restores, there can be quick restoration, like water in the Negev. But sometimes restoration is a slower process. And when you go out bearing seed and you're breaking up ground, and you're longing for a harvest. It may be, I, I don't know, in a subsistence, subsistence culture, in a culture where agriculture is on a margin, when you go out sowing seed, you're hoping there's gonna be a harvest because this is the precious seed that you've saved from last year, and, and maybe it's not gonna come, but you go out sowing in tears and praying, and when the harvest does come, that's a time of rejoicing, but it's, you've had to wait for it. And the God of restoration is a God who works quickly and works with patience. See, God has built restoration into the fabric of the world that he made. We ourselves know that we've got bodies that often, by and large, heal themselves. You know, if you get a cut, you're gonna probably get it healed. If you get the flu, even if you get COVID, you probably are going to get better. And there'll be a restoration of energy and life and, and well-being. God builds it into restoration. And, and the seasons are, are pictures for us in, in our European climate of, of restoration, of leaves that fall, but also buds that form, of, uh, of fruit that falls to the ground, but new life that comes from that. And in restoration and the hand of God, we can see sometimes miracles too. And the, the one way of looking at, at miracles is, is the process of restoration speeded up. When Jesus was walking the earth, the Son of God in human form, the Son of God incarnate, he was coming to restore. In fact, um, his predecessor, John the Baptist, has had a mission to turn the hearts of the children to the parents, to fulfill that mission of Elijah, for to bring restoration to Israel, to turn the hearts of people back to God. And, and when Jesus comes, he is living out what it looks like for restoration to happen. And that means that things happen, speed it up, when Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever and Jesus comes to tea, he stretches out a hand and touches her, and she's straight away healed. Now, she may have got better in a week or two, but something happened, speeded up. When Jesus took bread and blessed it and gave it for his disciples to give to 5,000 people, bread was multiplied. Now, actually, God's always multiplying bread. When a seed of, of wheat falls to the ground, it produces a big crop. But one time it happened, it up, and already cooked. Um, like water into wine. God's always turning water into wine. That's what wine is, really. You know, the water in the grape fermented with process of time becomes wine. But there was one time when Jesus did it really quickly at a wedding feast at Cana of Galilee. And restoration could be like water in the Negev. Things speed it up. But sometimes restoration demands patience and is a long haul. And um, there's some, you know, Jesus tells a parable um, in, in in Matthew Matthew Gospel, Matthew 13. It's a parable of the weeds and wheat, and it's kind of like something has gone wrong. And there's a farmer that sowed um, a good crop in the field, but an enemy's come and sowed weeds among it. And and it's kind of like his servants say, "Well, let's let's sort it out straight away." And and the father says, "No, patience is needed because we don't want." to pull up the weeds, because that will disturb the wheat. We have to wait for the time of harvest before we can sort this. And in 2 Peter, um, 2 Peter, in that that book, the the, the author is, is just reflecting on the patience of God, really. And he says this in 2 Peter 3, verse 8 and 9. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And that ultimate restoration that I spoke of at the very beginning, where the history of the world is going, where the story of the Bible is going, that's not happened yet but we can believe in restoration, but we also recognise that there's patience needed because God isn't wanting anything to be lost that can be rescued. Oops. Now, sometimes restoration is not either really quick or demanding patience. It's a both-and restoration. And if you know me, I love the both-and word. And I was just thinking about both-and restoration. What, what does that look like? I think it looks like a work of the spirit that needs consolidation. A couple of weeks ago, I was taking at well, a, a, a service at Woodland Central and we were dedicating a little baby. And a little baby called Rosie, who is the daughter of Chris and Nico. Nico is our communications person. They've been trying for a baby for 11 years. And they had to go through IVF and it was a big deal to dedicate this little baby. 11 years waiting. Demands patience. Nine months waiting. Demands patience. For that little baby born. You know, straight away, we've got a new member of our family. It's fantastic. And, and actually, it was wonderful to, to, to look at this little wife and see the image of God in her and pray for her. With a real heart to keep her safe. But there's another story at that service too. and It was the story of someone who's just come to faith from a recovery background. And one of the things that's been happening at Woodies is is that there was one guy at Woodlands who um, was in Cocaine Anonymous. And um, that's a 12-step group. And 12-step groups uh, are groups where, following a bit like Alcoholics Anonymous, you you, you kind of follow steps where you, like a discipleship process, you recognize you need help. You recognize you can't save yourself. And then there are steps that you take of recovery and restoration. And anyway, this guy from, from his little 12-step group started to invite people from his 12-step group to come to church. And they, they've been coming in increasing numbers. A whole cohort of them did Alpha recently. And one of these guys was telling his story. And he was, he'd come from a Muslim background. He's had a checkered life. He'd been in prison. And he was telling his story, and it's actually probably on, online on our website, of, of God restoring him, of God giving him his Holy Spirit. of of it being about Jesus and about change. And it's a beautiful and wonderful thing to see someone restored by a move of the Spirit. An Alpha Holy Spirit Day, an encounter with God, a touch of of grace. But actually, we also know if we've been around pastorally for a long time, that those sudden moves of restoration, which are real and powerful, also need consolidation. It's as if we get a taste of the age to come, and now we've got to work it out. Maybe that's part of what Paul means when he talks about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. So often, we get a glimpse now of where we're going. We experience the power of God in our lives. We experience profound change. We realise, actually, that we're not a write-off, but that we're loved by the living God, and that we are forgiven. Our debts are paid in full. We can start all over again. That's a wonderful thing. That's restoration. But we also know that we sometimes need to work that out And we may carry scars or vulnerabilities that need discipleship. Restoration is a both and thing. Straight away. And yet worked out. We see that actually in the lives of the disciples themselves, you know? Someone like Peter who Jesus could say, you're a rock and, and he restores him, doesn't he? After his major fall. Fear of man was Peter's problem and he denied Jesus and Jesus restores him, commissions him. But yeah, Peter had to walk that out in his life, didn't he? We see, you know, him stopping eating with the Gentiles when Paul challenges him, doesn't he? And we read about that in Galatians, if you know your New Testament. So, restoration. You New know, Highgrove Highgrove's a restoration story. In 1982, when Rob and Pam reopened this building with Donna Nicola, who are here today, is that right? Yeah. And you had been in a little church in Southmead, and we were recruited by Rob, just a group of young people, to come and reopen a building as a place of worship in this community that had been empty for eight years or more. And um, and not just to open as a place of worship, but as a place to reach the community. And that's been your legacy as a community here, from those early beginnings, to say, how can we see the whole of the Seamills estate and wider down into Shire and uh, down into Coombe Dingle and down into the Stoke Bishop. How can we see this community have a community of people that know and love Jesus and can share the good news of Jesus with them and welcome them? And the church grew and flourished. And then planted out, and I was part of that planting out to Henleys and Westbury. And in the aftermath of lots of people going, there's a bit of postnatal depression for Mother Church and need a bit of restoration. And ultimately, actually, Scott felt a call to come back here as a mother and nurse and to be involved in nurturing. And And Ed and Deb, who'd come over here to work with Nigel and Louise, increasingly took on that sense of leadership and responsibility for this community until it was very clear that they were leading this community into the next phase of its restoration of its call and vision. And they've been doing that. And it's wonderful to feel again flourishing, flourishing so much that you have to have two services on a Sunday morning. How inconvenient is that? Really inconvenient unless you want to reach a community who don't yet have. Build a foyer, that's expensive. Why do we do it? Because we want to see a restoration project for all those people that God wants to restore. Restoration... And restoration hope is not just for those of us on the inside. It's for those who don't yet have that hope, who don't yet know and understand that the image of God in them, that is real, can be called out and restored by the love of God. And they can find an inheritance that they have not yet found. So that's our prayer, that we might be a people who walk out restoration and give it away. Let me pray. Father God, I want to thank you for this message of hope that you restore our souls. And I want to thank you, Lord God, for the call on this community to be a sign of restoration, restoring a building in order that a community may be blessed and restored. Please will you help Highgrove Church walk out its restoration life. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.